Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. starting a series today and it's called Real Talk, all right? And I'll be honest with you, I don't get nervous speaking up here. I'm an introvert by nature, but I don't get nervous. I'm extroverted in this realm. And, uh, and, and, but I'll be honest, this has been the most nervous that I've ever been in, in launching a series or speaking on topics. And here's why, not because I'm afraid to talk about things, but because I don't want the enemy to use it and create confusion and con condemnation when God the Father is actually offering love in all of these topics. So listen, people have questions, and I believe the Lord and his truth has answers. And I believe we're going to be a church that actually speaks out and, and makes public uh, declarations and stances on things that are going to be difficult. But we want to do and present the truth in love. And we'll get there in a moment. But here's the deal. There's, there's, there's many things going on in our culture. There's many social issues, cultural issues, confusion, sexual confusion, temptation. And there's all these things, political realms and social realms and natural realms and all these things. And I believe this. I believe the enemy wants to silence the church to increase his voice in media and culture and society. But I believe it's time that the Lord's people, that God's people speak his word and speak his absolute truth on these topics in love. Amen. So the heart of this is not to push people away and, and be judgmental and be condemning. But the heart of it is to speak the truth and allow God to invite people into an encounter of his love and his power and his absolute goodness. How many believe that God is love? And even if the truth cuts sharp like a two-edged sword, it feels good and you want more of it. And that's our prayers, that this will actually bring people in to the truth and the love of Jesus rather than push them out. Now, leprosy is this thing discussed in the Bible. And leprosy is this disease that eventually leads to paralysis and people sneaking and rotting flesh and all of this. But it starts off really small and it starts off with just numbing some nerves. And eventually that gets increased and increased and increased to eventually you're paralyzed and you don't even realize it. And it was a slow thing over time that happened. I believe that's one of the enemy's tactics is, is that he creates this numbness and introduces a lot of these social issues to us. And it's through media, it's through, it's through networks, it's through um, TV and all these platforms that the enemy has gained some access to that honestly us, the Christians, have allowed him access to. There was movements over the decades that's happened to say, well, we're going to focus just on the rapture. We're going to give up our influence in, in our voice to society because we're just going to focus on God coming back. And we literally stepped aside and allowed the enemy to come in and have a voice. The shepherding movement and other movements, it was all about the end time studies versus just the love of Jesus. Listen, the end times was never meant to be fear. It was actually presenting the gospel and love that we can be in intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Today, I'm going to focus on the church. I'm going to focus on religion versus relationship. That's week one. So, so at any rate, here's what's happened. The enemy has introduced these issues, these cultural divisions and these things a little at a time. You're seeing things on TV now that you would have never seen 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And what's happening is slowly over time, we just get used to it. We get numb to it and we get, we get accustomed to seeing that. And then we accept it and then we embrace it. 
Now, now here's the thing. I believe that, that we're to embrace people, but we don't have to embrace the social issues and come in alignment with what the enemy's lies are. We want to come in alignment with God's truths. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just start with this scripture, and this is kind of the introduction to the series as well as to this week. And, uh, and then if you give me about 15 minutes, um, I'll launch this first week, and then we'll be out of here. But I, I believe this. I, I want to not do this in injustice, and I know we're going later with all the stuff going on today, but I believe that we need a proper viewpoint and expectation of the church and what the church's role is, not only in, in our lives and for us, but also society. So let's go to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version today. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I, I want to focus on that here in a little bit. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I believe that is the, the issue with the enemy. He's, he's doing all this stuff and these schemes and these conniving ways and these lies. And, we're, and us as a culture, us as a society, not necessarily a church, but us as a society are buying into a lot of this. And, and let me just, just tell you, there are questions. I want God to provide the answers. The millennials, the young people, your kids have questions. And, and let me just tell you, I'd rather give my kids the truth about sex the truth about sexuality, the truth about politics, the truth about all these things we're going to talk about versus them learning the lies on a school bus or on a playground or on a TV. Listen, we, we have this opportunity to provide the truth in love versus allowing the enemy to disguise that and pervert things that they were never supposed to be. There's people that got questions. There's people that have confusion. There's people that, that how do I practically um, um, overcome pornography? How do I practically as a single person do this or do, you know? So here's the deal. We're, we want to package this up and just present the love of the Father through his word. So it goes on to say this, verse 15, rather, here we go, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Who? Christ. And it goes into 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part of it is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Amen, right? So here's the deal. We want to speak truth and love. But see, here's the role. One of the roles of the church is to equip the believers for the work of the ministry. Let, let me just tell you what church is and what church isn't. Church is a body, a bride, and, and it says that Jesus is returning for his bride without blemish. Now, my opinion on without blemish would be that it's a bride that's actually in unity focusing first on him. See, it doesn't mean we're all going to always be in agreement. It doesn't mean that we're always all going to agree on everything, but we'll have unity. See, the, a family that has unity doesn't mean they always agree. So we don't want there to be an offense. This is not an argument. This is not a debate. This is not condemnation. But it's us presenting the truth in love on these various things. But the church's assignment, one of them is, first off, to present Jesus and plant him center and make our best ministry to him first. 
to love God and then to love people and equip them for the work of the ministry. And I believe this. I believe that the church, once they're in here, then we equip the believers. But I want to focus to be also bringing in the pre-believers. I, I believe in two races. If you've not been with us long, you've heard me, not heard me say this. But I believe in two races. Not black, white, not, not Hispanic, not Asian. I believe that there's believers and there's pre-believers. And pre-believers are only one encounter away from the love of Jesus to know him for eternity. That's the two races on this earth. So one of the frustrations I have is when ministries and pastors focus their ministries and their main ministries to attack other pastors and ministries that actually believe the same Bible in Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to reach the unreached. I want our focus outside there to actually bring in the pre-believers into an encounter with the love of the Father and to transform them into their ministry. Now, let me, let me just tell you, upper room, equipping the believers for the work of ministry. The Bible talks about arrows in a quiver. We're like, you know, our children, are, or we are like arrows in a quiver, ready to be released. So here's the deal. We as a church have an obligation to equip believers to mature them in Christ and in word so that they can function to the fullness of what they were equipped, gifted, and purposed for on this earth. Now, a lot of churches, they paint this big bullseye here. And they're focusing on a program or, or, or a business or an organ, whatever. So what happens is we're saying, okay, now everybody come in here and we're all going to hit this target. That's fine. It's, it, it grows the kingdom. It reaches people. It feeds hungry, whatever that might be. Here's what I believe. If we're a five-fold ministry, then we realize already that we have differences, different callings, different personalities, different giftings, different makeups, different backgrounds, different testimonies, and so that we can reach different people. So if we're focusing on arrows, what happens is equipping the believers for the work, equipping the saints for the work of ministry means your ministry. Now, if you follow Lance Wall and I or some of the other guys, you'll learn about the seven mountains or the seven spheres of influence. Church is only one mountain. You have government, you have family, you have education, you have business. You have these seven mountains and what happens is church is just one. I believe we are equipped and we are purposed and our destiny and we have a calling to one of those mountains. Now, I, I dip into a couple. Obviously, I'm a dad, so family is a big mountain for me. Church is another. I'm a firefighter, so I also have government. But here's the deal. I believe that we're called to be a focus on one. Now, it doesn't mean we all come to church and, and, and we all serve, right? We can serve together, but I believe you're called for something. There's things that you're called to do. There's things that you can do, and then there's things you should do. And, and, and it's things that I can come in and be a door greeter or teach in a Sunday school class or help run sound. I can do those things, but I'm actually called to preach and pastor and, and, and be apostolic and equipping believers for the work of ministry. So, so here's the thing. When we're launching these, these arrows and the equipping means that we, we as a body, we as a church equip you, we sharpen your arrow to actually help you be launched to your target. Now, now, so what happens in the kingdom, the Bible says that the kingdom is forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. So in that, if our focus isn't people or structure or the walls of the church and our focus is people with his presence, then when you're launched, you have purpose. There's a lot of peas in there. We want to host his presence. We want to focus on people so that you can fulfill the purpose to grow his kingdom. Let me, let me, let me go here. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. 
Jesus says it like this. He says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am, Simon Peter replied? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Now, now here's the point we're going to get to. And on this rock, we will build. He says, I will build my what? Church. Ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one about Christ. Now, now here's the deal. This area of Caesarea Philippi was actually a rock region. It was caves, literally rocks. And they were, uh, the people of that time in these caves were worshiping a false god, a false idol. And he was called Pan, P-A-M. And he was actually the god of fear and the god of infertility. Now, here Jesus comes along. He's having this, this conversation with Peter. And he says, now on this rock... I will build my ecclesia. Now, now here's what ecclesia means. It's mentioned 116 times in the New Testament, mostly referring to the church. Now, ecclesia means that ek actually means um, called out and then to the assembly or, or out of, and meaning ecclesis uh, is a calling. So being called out in a group of people. Ecclesia always, when referenced, is the group of people, and Jesus knew this. It was a well-known term. So when he says, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, he's saying this was, now ecclesia at that time, it was a well-known word, meaning group of people with authority. Group, it was a government of people with unity. It was a bond of people that actually had authority and influence, making decisions of when to go to war, what to believe, all these major things. So here's what Jesus is saying. He says, in this area where they're worshiping fear and infertility, I'm going to be the God of peace. I am the rock of peace, and I'm the rock of life. And here I'm going to plant a group of people with influence in this area, right in this location, with influence, with a unity of people on me. That's ecclesia. That's the church, where a church is literally planted on Jesus for the work of the ministry to have influence and authority in the spheres of influence. This is quiet. This is really exciting because the church was never meant to be a building. The church was never meant to be chandeliers and stained glass windows. The church wasn't meant to be a business or an organization. The church was meant to be a movement of people bringing Jesus everywhere they go. A group of people in unity and love with authority and influence. I literally feel conviction of what church has become in America. Once a quarter, we, we host all the pastors of Tip City and buy their lunch and just, just to bring unity in the body. Listen, when Jesus was discipling the 12 or Paul was commissioning the churches, it was never because of theological differences or doctrinal differences. It was literally geographical strategy. If we put Jesus as the rock and put him in the center of every ministry, the differences really don't matter because the big C is Christ. And the little C is church. 
The ecclesia of people know that Jesus is in the center. So yeah, you know, the, the group in, in uh, Corinth might be a little bit different than Ephesus. But guess what? Jesus is in the center. So Paul corrects them with some letters. And then they're all back in Jesus being the center. We're not doing anything different on this series than what Paul did in his letters. Our platform just looks different. And we have microphones and social media and Vimeo and YouTube and all these things. What Paul was doing was confronting the issues of the culture and society of that time. Listen, let me just be really honest with you. Homosexuality is nothing new. You go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You go through the New Testament. You go through Paul talking about sexual morality. It is not new. I don't know why we're so scared of it. And you can go through every immorality and everything with sexual identity and these things. It's nothing new. The church has just been silent for too long. And they've not known how to handle this because we're afraid to offend people. Well, if you do it in love, you're not going to offend anybody because God is love. <laughs> Jesus is the rock. So, so here, here, we, here we go into this thing. Now, I don't want to discredit the purpose of meeting in a corporate body, in a bride, in a body of believers, in a family. Listen, God is love, and I believe that family is the functioning unit of love. That's my definition of family, the functioning unit of love. And if God's love, his people are love. His people are family. His church looks like a family. Listen, in the beginning in the garden, it starts with a family. And in the end, he's returning for a bride that looks like a family. And his family anywhere in the middle. Listen, family is so important. We, we, we don't live here, but we call church home. Home is a dwelling place. It's an atmosphere of safety. The church should be a place of safety and risk and celebration and honoring one another even when we disagree. The church is this place where we actually love one another. We value our differences and we encourage one another and we lift each other up. We pray for Adam and Jenny and when they're struggling, we're all struggling because we're all one because we're a family in the ecclesia of God. Church is not this thing where we rely on people to meet our needs and we rely on people to fulfill our purpose and we rely on people to fulfill our value and, and we rely on people for, for, for our salvation and our healing and, and our companionship. Listen, we've mixed it up. The ecclesia is actually planted on the rock, Jesus. Let me just be honest with you. I went to a ministry and discovered lies and truths. And one of those is, I, you know, if you've been working with people long enough, you're going to be hurt. Because people get hurt, and hurt people hurt people. And I've been hurt. How many in here has been hurt by people? Everybody. Because people are imperfect. And if, and if people never let you down, and people were to fulfill that, then they would actually be taking the place of Jesus. And Jesus made us imperfect, so we only worship him because he's the only one that will never let us down. So one of the truths I discovered was, people will let me down, but God will never let me down. That's the truth. People will let us down. And I'll be honest, people in this church will let you down. I will let you down. I'm not perfect. I, I, will, I will forget to text back. I won't see a text. I'll, I'll, I'll be focused and just, man, I didn't think I was going to get up and do the pastor stuff. My prayer today, and when, when we meet in that room every time before service, and I said, listen, because we love, the Bible says those who teach and bring the word and stuff are worth double honor, right? But I said today, I said, I want Jesus to still get the greatest honor. I don't want any appreciation more for us than what Jesus gets. 
And when Nicole talked about Revelation 4, I can't help but just get lost in what that picture of heaven is. Listen, the greatest form of ecclesia is Revelation 4, when the host of angels and the 24 elders and the living creatures and the cherubim and the seraphim, they're all worshiping Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and who was and is and is to come. That is the greatest picture of ecclesia that I can ever, I can ever picture. And every time they say holy, it's this, like she was saying, it's this different angle of God. It's this different attribute. It's this different wonder of God. And every time it means the same. And it's so angelic and it's so powerful and awesome. That is the greatest form. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, I am just wrecked in his presence. I love it that even on these event days, Jesus is still in the center. And we're not going to negotiate hosting his presence and putting him in the center and worshiping him and ministering to him first. So many times we get the games before Christ. Christ should always be before the games. Man, let me figure out where I am. Let me get back to this. Wow, I don't have much time. So the ecclesia doesn't, it doesn't mean we don't meet. There's this false reality that's, that when we get caught up in the message on the ecclesia of just the people, we begin to take away and discredit the actual value of meeting together in a church building. Listen, I, I get it that Jesus said the ecclesia, the people would be planted on the rock. He didn't use the word synagogue. He didn't use the word tabernacle. But we can't just take one scripture and focus on that and ignore all the other scripture. So listen, it says that they met house to house and in the temple. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, we don't need the church. Jesus did 50% of his miracles outside the church. If you account to his healings and his miracles that Jesus performed on earth, 50% were done outside the church. Well, that means 50% were done inside the church. And a lot of times that's preached on to say, well, 50% were outside the church. Yes, we need to go outside. We need to be uh, house to house and in the streets and, and taking our, our, our arrows into the targets that God's called us to. Now, let me just pause for a second. Some of your arrows are meant to be mom or grandma or grandpa. Like some of you are retired or some of you are raising kids at home. There is no second class anointing in the kingdom of God. There is not a second-rate calling. And some of you, you're like, well, how do I, where's my arrow? I'm, I'm, I'm just stuck in the home with kids. No, you are stuck in a home raising world changers or in a classroom impacting world changers or in a hospital caring for a sick person as a nurse, as an influencer, as the ecclesia of God, taking Christ and the church outside of these walls into wherever that is. Let me just say, it might be just a, a cashier that day. But let me just remind you that Jesus rode across an entire sea of Galilee to cast a demon out of one person. Oftentimes he met with the down and outers that were just a cashier, just this, or just a woman that was divorced multiple times at a well, or just a woman that had a bleeding issue for 12 years, or, or, or just a woman that was caught in adultery. Listen, you never know the impact that you're having, but when you plant Jesus on the center and he's the rock of our life and we're filled up with him, all of a sudden we get to impact everybody around us and actually be the church instead of just go to church. That's the ecclesia. Let me uh, just say one of the things is we often hear that, 
you know, well, I don't feel connected, you know. There's one thing about knowing how to get connected and just not feeling connected. Now, now at times, when you're new here, it's hard. How, how do we figure it out? We're not great at systems. We're not. We will openly admit that. We're not great of, of figuring that, that front porch into the home. Like, we're working on that. We need some help with that. But there's times that we just hear, I feel disconnected. Well, you don't come to any event, you show up to church late, you leave early, and you're not in any life group, and you're not serving on any team. If you feel disconnected, it's your own fault. Let me, let me just be honest with you. When my children are having a little trouble connecting at a new school or connecting, we're like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Do you want us, do you need to invite some friends over? Do you need to build connection with somebody? Do you want us to have somebody over for a movie night with you? What do you want? Do you need to sit at a new lunch table? And then if it progresses and gets worse, okay, do you need us to have a meeting with the teacher to figure this out? Like, like we have this step, but first off, it lies on them. They're responsible for themselves. I'll just be honest with you. With, with certain things, I just like, you feel disconnected because you're not connected. It is not everybody else's fault. Get connected. Join a group. Show up at prayer. Do something. Invite somebody to lunch. We're the ecclesia. We're the family of God. We get to connect. And it's up to you how deep you want to go and how much connection you want to have. That's true. Invite somebody to coffee. I very seldom say no to coffee. Now, don't everybody invite me, all right? Give me some time. I got to pace this thing. I still work a full-time job. But I'll work you in. I promise. So, well, if I can. I got to be careful with my words. Like, you promised. Listen, I told you I'll let you down, all right? I'm imperfect. All of you today in both services invite me to coffee. Yep, for the next 72 weeks, I'm meeting people for coffee. <laughs> Listen, I want to end with this. Uh, the musicians can come. The ecclesia is a group of people with Jesus in the center, and he's the rock. And, and the koinos word is fellowship. In Acts 2, he's talking about pouring out the Spirit. And, and listen, that group of people sold everything, came into one mind and one accord, and it was all Jesus. All waiting for his Holy Spirit, all walking with the Holy Spirit. And there was this outpouring on the day of Pentecost, and that led to the ecclesia mentioned in Acts 11, which the first group of people ever calling themselves Christians. It was the first church. 116 times in the New Testament, ecclesia is used. Oh, that is so glorious. I was praying this morning, let it rain so I don't have to work on the treehouse and I can get a nap today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's, that storm came in at 5 a.m. and we had girls who were sleeping in the treehouse run to the house. And I look at the weather, I'm like, okay, that's short. Oh man, only 5% chance today. I was like, boy, it'd be great to just to have a rest day. So, woo! All right, koinos. The word for communion, fellowship. Listen, we, again, it's the broad picture of the absolute truth of the word. It's infallible, absolute truth. We can't just take a little part. Well, this, this says this. No, it's the big picture. John 14. I was, I was, I'll be honest. I, I have been like just intimidated by this series. Not again, not because I'm afraid to talk about something or take a stance but because of my heart to want to allow the Lord to invite people in, not push them away. That's our heart, because that's God's heart. And Sunday night I was up, 10 o'clock came, 11 o'clock came, 12 o'clock came, one o'clock came, and I was just still up. I'm like, Lord, I'm praying for heavenly downloads here. What, what do you want to say here? 
And he dropped John 14.1 into my spirit. And, and it says, do not let your heart be troubled. And it's this, this picture just after the Last Supper. Jesus is saying, like, like Peter's like, I got your back, Jesus. I got your back, bro. He's like, you're going to deny me, okay? And then they're like, and by the way, I'm going to leave. And they're like, what? And they're spazzing out. And Jesus just says, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Like, don't, don't stress out. Don't worry about anything. Listen, when Jesus is the center, all of a sudden our quarreling, our, our issues, our divisions go away because we all agree on Jesus, on Christ super uh, of, of crucified and resurrected and being the solution to everything. So John 14.1 is this beautiful picture of, is Jesus enough? For the ecclesia, is Jesus alone enough? I was talking to Aaron Zachary, who also recently lost his job, and, and he's like, I said, how you doing, man? He's like, Jesus is enough. I was like, that's right. Jesus alone is enough. Man, that's a beautiful rain. That's, that's heavy. Yeah. We needed that. We need that. Jesus alone is enough. Why don't you stay with me? I want to finish this point. We're just going to pray. I believe he's wanting to just pour out his spirit today. He alone is enough. Listen, that context is this. He had to leave in order to give us the connection on the cross to the Father. He also had to leave in order to pour out His Spirit and give of Himself for us to walk the earth with Him. He alone is enough. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Nothing else matters because, listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm giving you something better than I. And, and, and He's saying, like, it's going to be a comforter, a guide. It's going to be power and fire and all these things, right? He's promising Holy Spirit. And I just know today that he is promising his bride unity. He is promising the ecclesia, the unity, the love, the power of himself. And he alone is worthy to be that rock, to be the God of peace and when we're worshiping fear, to be the God of life when there's infertility and hopelessness. And I believe this, Jesus is, he alone is enough. He alone is enough. Put your hands on your heart. Lord, we thank you for the ecclesia. We thank you for your bride. We thank you for your church, that it is about relationship, not religion. That it is about you, Jesus. That it's unity and it's love and it's, 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 it's valuing each other and celebrating one another as we celebrate you together. Not stumbling over our differences or stumbling over who we're not, but focusing on who you are. God, I thank you for your ecclesia. I thank you for your koinos and that we get to fellowship with one another. And we get to plant you in the center of everything. We get to plant you in the center. And you alone, you are the rock. The church shall be built on you, Jesus. Not us. Not a program. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your truth and love. We thank you that even in confusion or, or differences that, that you bring the peace, you bring the shalom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus.